You are far more than you think you are. Get that in your head. You are far more than you think you are. God's Spirit working in you as a willing partner can accomplish remarkable things. My friend Felipe Colby uh, graduated from Purdue University with a degree in business. Managed the Kroger's store, grocery store, for a while. Married a mission-minded optometrist and eventually found his way to Honduras, of all things. She runs a medical clinic. He plants and supports churches. Felipe has found one way to provide financial support and jobs for those in tough situations is to raise coffee, to grow coffee and raise it. And so the churches have put their monies together, bought property, raised little trees to big trees, planted trees out in the hills, and picked the harvest and produce a profit. Hill Climber Coffee, if you ever want to find it on the Internet and support them, Hill Climber Coffee is the way to go. I'm not a coffee drinker, but when I drink coffee, it's Hill Climber Coffee. They recently bought more property to plant more trees. It's out in a part of the remote mountains. Beautiful property, but one problem. There's no roads to the property, only trails. No problem. We'll make a road. Rent a bulldozer. Scary cliffs on this side. Pushing trees out of the way on that side. And I'll show you a video someday of how they did that. What I'm saying is that God's kingdom is unstoppable. And He's trying to find people to partner with to advance His kingdom. By partnering with God, you're far more than you think you are. This is the second message in the life of Hezekiah, a king from Judah in a very difficult time. Again, why are we looking at the life of an ancient king? What does that possibly have to do with us? Well, the living Word of God from the living God says this, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And so if you can learn the amazing lessons from this guy's life, you'll get endurance, encouragement, and hope, and who doesn't need that? That's what I hope to share with you during these, this four-part series. It's my turn now. It's my turn to build a road. It's my turn to buy property. It's my turn to turn my nation back to the Lord. Whatever your turn is, go for it. Uh, Diane and Tara picked a song this morning. It's perfect. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Wow, that was Hezekiah's thought as he entered into this new part of his life. He had watched his dad fail for so many years. Now it was his turn. He decided to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord and under the guidance of two godly men, obscure men probably to most of you, a prophet who's got a tiny book in the Bible called Micah, and another one, a more extended prophet with more extensive words, uh, in the Bible, that would be Isaiah. 
these two men mentored him and helped him to make great reforms. Isaiah was God's spokesman for five kings in a row. All the way back to Hezekiah's great-grandpa, Isaiah, all the way down to his son, Manasseh. Isaiah, well, you probably wouldn't have liked him because he probably would have offended you. He was not politically correct, to say the least. He was uh, blunt and sarcastic and bold. And he really didn't care what you thought. He just spoke the truth. And this is what he said. Try this out. Try this out. You're a, you're a, steeped in the ways of Judaism. You're a son of Abraham. You have all this great heritage. You know the history. Hear the word of the Lord, Isaiah says. You rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Uh, how you like that for an insult? Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong and learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Calling the people of Judah, Sodom and Gomorrah is shocking. But it's true. They sold out to pagan gods of this world. And now they're paying the price. So Isaiah hammered away at things. If you read some of his book, he hammered away at idols and pride and greed and the effect of alcohol and injustice and corruption and weak-willed leaders. Anybody was in his sights. He, he held back nothing. Well, several months ago, we had a guest speaker here who made a presentation and set up a display in the lobby. His name was Mike Bonning. He was from Compass Care in Buffalo. Uh, you may have heard in the news this week that Compass Care, right down on Eggert Road, was attacked and vandalized. It made it necessary for Mike and his team to move out and find another location to continue their good work. But I talked with them this week, and they didn't stop their services for one day. They continue to treat people who need their help. Compass Care exists to provide medical and material and emotional support to women uh, facing pregnancy. And they're mostly funded by churches and individuals. And, of course, the current political climate has made them a target. Does that matter to you? Does an attack on an organization like eight miles from here bother you? Did you respond in any way to that or is that just somebody else's problem and part of the news cycle will be something else tomorrow? I was outraged by that. I called our senators and our governor and our mayor and expressed my thoughts. Of course, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. And of course, they're probably not going to respond because I'm on the wrong side of their position. I can only guess what Isaiah may have done. 
had that happened in his day, for he was living in our days. You rulers of Sodom, you people of Gomorrah, your hands are full of blood. And I I want to encourage you to help Mike and his team in some way. There's going to be opportunities. I'll send something out on the email. They sent me something last night. I will send it out to you just verbatim today. And you can read it on our prayer email chain. There's things that you can do. But they are far from defeated. The people of God have rallied around them. They found a new place to operate. Um, People are calling from all over the country in support. Their donations are up. And what seemed like trouble has backfired on the troublemakers and resulted in good. That's how God usually does things, isn't it? But it's hard stuff. What would happen if your place of business was firebombed? I feel like the least I can do this morning is pray for Mike and Compass Care. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just pray that you would protect your servants who seek to protect the innocent. Lord, we hurt for them, but we're so proud of them at the same time for their boldness. I pray that you would provide the medical expertise that is needed for moms who are expecting in uh, probably very difficult circumstances. I pray that you would help them each to be strong and courageous. We don't pray because of our righteousness. We don't pray because uh, we're important. We pray for your great namesake and your mercy that you would accomplish your work through that ministry for the praise and honor of your great name. Amen. There was a guy named James Walker who put it like this. A reformer is a guy who rides through a sewer in a glass bottom boat. Yeah. Ugly stuff, right? The nation of Judah was a sewer. And you can ignore it and you can just go along with it and you can say it's okay. That's what my dad did and he, you know, I don't want to upset the apple cart. I don't want to rock the boat. I just want to leave it, leave it go. But it was the turn of Hezekiah. No excuses. No procrastination, no blame. Let's just get the work and make this right in the eyes of the Lord. I tried to summarize his great reformation in five points. If you're a Bible student and you read this, you're, you're going to find that there's more material there than I can cover today. But it's rock solid stuff about the things that he did. So I just broke it down for a fifth grader like myself to understand. So here's the first thing he did. He restored the temple. Then he resumed daily worship and sacrifices in the temple. Then he reestablished the great Passover feast. Then he removed uh, pagan practices from the area. Then he asked the people to return to tithing so that there would be upkeep for the temple in the future. I think it's a good plan for you if you look at those five points. Applied to your life, it would cause a reformation in your soul too and turning you back to the Lord. Maybe that's why you came here today. Maybe the Lord has you here to hear this this morning. The Bible says in Second Chronicles 31, this, this is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah. 
doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And everything that he undertook, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. He put God first. And the Bible says in the first month, in the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple and he repaired them. I'm just going to read a section of Scripture for you uh, that will kind of give you a flavor of what he does. He brought the priest and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east side. And he said, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourself now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook Him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on Him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offering at the sanctuary to the God of our uh, God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and wives are in captivity. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that His fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before Him and serve Him and minister before Him and to burn incense. Then these Levites set to work. You can read about these reformations that he made in Second Chronicles in chapter 30 and 31 right in there. Um, he made the startling admission. He made a confession. He said, our fathers were unfaithful. He said, the anger of the Lord has clearly fallen on us. It's our turn right now. Let's return to God. The International Bible Encyclopedia puts it like this. It's as if he made his inauguration speech and then signed new legislation in the law. We're changing things. Starting over. We're not going to do what they did. They had their turn. Now it's our turn. We're going to do it the right way. And so they opened the doors of the temple and they began to repair the temple that was the most pressing need because his dad had closed the doors. We're not going to worship God there anymore. We're going to worship other gods in high places around town. So he told his Levites to get in there and clean house. I'd like to have those Levites come to my garage and clean my garage the way they cleaned that temple. Oh my goodness, Second Chronicles 29, 4-11. They just went in there and started in. It took them uh, 16 days. This was like spring cleaning on steroids. 16 days back and forth they went, hauling out all this stuff that was dedicated to pagan gods. And stuff that was dedicated to the living God of Israel, they brought out and they cleansed, cleansed and they purified in the proper way. And so they made it ready to be used again. The Bible goes further and says that they restored worship. It says, early the next morning, 
King Hezekiah gathered the city officials together and went up to the temple of the Lord early the next morning. He didn't wait till after lunch. He didn't sit behind a desk. He didn't have a committee meeting. He didn't hold a press conference. He didn't blame anybody for anything else. He just led the way by example. Let's go and take care of this business. Let's restore worship as God prescribed. And so they began to offer sacrifices to atone for the sin of the nation. I, uh, verse 20 through 24 there. And so they restored these daily sacrifices and began to burn incense as prescribed by the law of Moses. Then they broke out these old musical instruments that hadn't been used in at least a generation. David once used cymbals and harps and lyres and trumpets. Rick, they brought out the trumpets that had been in hibernation for at least a generation. The choirs started warming up and they broke out in songs and Everyone present knelt down in worship and they used the songs from David and Asaph that are in your Bible today. And the Bible says, So they sang praises with gladness and bowed their heads in worship. Going back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. Not about these pagan practices and pagan gods. So they reopened the temple and they restored worship. Then they reinstated the Passover celebration. I don't know. I, can you imagine uh, if the government came out with a new law and said, get ready, we are canceling Christmas this year. We're going to cancel Christmas. Done. We're done with that. I know it's probably not too hard for you to imagine right now, is it? We're canceling Christmas. That's what... His dad did. Hezekiah's dad, King Ahaz. We're no longer going to have the Passover. We're not going to celebrate it anymore. It's done. He's like the Grinch that canceled the Passover holiday. But Hezekiah said, no more of that. We're bringing it back because this is one of our most sacred holidays. Remember what the Lord did for us when He opened up the Red Sea and let us march through. And so he brought it back, Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 1 through 31. There's a whole story about that. He sent messengers all throughout the land, not just in his own region, but up north to the country, to the nations and tribes that had, I'm sorry, to the tribes that had rebelled and been uh, taken away by Assyria. There were still some people left. They said, come back, come back to Jerusalem and help us reinstate this Passover. And of course, the invitation was treated with contempt by many people. What do you, who do you think you are? We already have our own gods. Who do you think you, uh, who do you think you are to call us back? But some people came from the distant lands, the Bible says, from up north and where Jesus grew up in Zebulun and Issachar and Asher. And they united with some of the brothers of Judah. Chapter 30, verse 5 through 12, if you're following along. One commentary calls this Old Home Week. Or all these people come back to celebrate together. But there were specific rules about the Passover. You had to be purified to partake in the meal. And there's this beautiful story of grace inserted into the pages here. It's for all of us who are, are uh, bent on enforcing every rule and every jot and every tittle. It's got to be just like this. But the grace of God comes through because many people 
had the right attitude and their hearts came with this desire to give honor to God and seek Him, but they hadn't been purified and they were now going to be left out of the celebration of the meal. What to do? Hezekiah prayed, May the Lord who is good pardon, pardon everyone who sets his heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even if he is not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And God heard Hezekiah and healed the people. A story of grace squeezed into that story of the Passover. And the Passover observance celebration went so well that they just extended it. I love it. It's like, okay, you guys get Christmas break. Ah, we're going to make Christmas break go to January 15th this year. We're just going to live it up because God's so good. We just are having such a good time. And so they extended it. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, 26, 27, there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, there had been nothing like this in the city. Man, it was a good time. People getting together, coming back to the heart of worship, giving honor to the Lord. And then from there, Reformation swept through the land. This is what it says in Second Chronicles 31, verse 1. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah. They smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh. Man, it started to spread like fire. About 15 years ago or so, uh, we hosted a group of uh, youth groups that came to our building and stayed. They came for a week of service. So I had I had arranged some service projects for them. They stayed in our building overnight. They ate their meals here. We had a time of worship every night. They went and played basketball in the in the park and tennis, and some of them went to Niagara Falls and all that. But we worked every day, worshipped every night, and they had some free time mixed in. It was a good time, and uh, one day a group of about 30 of us went to a warehouse just off Niagara Street over by the Peace Bridge. The manager had arranged with me. I had all this stuff borrowed from all of you. He told me to bring hammers and crowbars and nail pullers and sawzaws and uh, sledgehammers and gloves and safety glasses And I'm thinking, great, someone's going to get killed in this group today. I know it. Drove up in the vans. I said, you guys stay here for a minute. I need to confirm the instructions because this does not sound right. I went in. He He had already shown me what he wanted done. I went in just to review it one more time. Okay, He says, Mike, I want you to take your team. And I want you to go over this section of the warehouse. All this furniture that has been donated is no good. It's uh, dilapidated. It's been eaten on by, uh, you know, rodents. It was intended to give to people, but it's not worth giving to people. It's not worth anything. And it's just taken up this whole space in our warehouse. We need to get rid of it. Okay. We have these two dumpsters over here. Big dumpsters. What we need is for you guys to break up all that stuff 
and put it in the dumpsters over here. Just let me make sure I got that right. You want me to take a group of teenagers and break that stuff up and put it in that dumpster, right? Yes. What's hard to understand about that? I said, okay. So we broke out the equipment, the safety glasses, the gloves, the hammers, etc. I got them out of the vans and stood by the door and I said, okay, you guys, follow me. We got in there. I said, here's your job for the next three hours or so. We're going to break that stuff up. We're going to make it into smaller pieces so all of that can fit into those two big dumpsters over there. Okay. Sorry, Joe, I'll catch you in just a little bit about that, okay? So we're going to work together. We're going to watch out for nails. We're not going to hurt each other. We can't do fire in the place, Joe. So I said, don't walk off the job. Stay here. If you get tired, sit down. Don't anybody leave because I need to keep my eye on all of you people. So you know what? When you tell teenage boys that they can break stuff in front of girls without threat of going to jail, this devious smile comes across their face. It is like a dream come true. And so they broke chairs and tables and recliners and couches and they just had so much fun doing it. When can we do this again? Can we do this in your church tonight when we get there? No, they didn't say that. Some of those kids had the spiritual gift of demolition. I'm sure of it. And what a what a great and memorable day it was for all of us. And the debriefing time that night was classic as kids got to tell their stories. I don't know how it was assigned in Judah by Hezekiah, but I think it went something like this. Okay, I want all the middle school boys and all the high school boys over here right now. You guys all come over here. We're going to issue you guys hammers and axes and different things like that, some fire starter. All you guys come over here. Now listen, you have my permission and my authority to go through any area of Judah and surrounding areas that you want. And any time you see anything that's dedicated to pagan worship in any way, idols, altars, stones, poles, decorations, what have you, any, any equipment, not people, any equipment, destroy it. And those kids go, really? We get to do that? Are you kidding? And I don't know what it could have looked like. I can't imagine the chaos. But they did it. What a crazy Bible story that is. Turning people loose just to tear stuff down. But it went even further. Hezekiah took it even further than that. He went there. Oh yeah, he went to that unmentionable place. There's some things in this world that you just don't say and you just don't mess with. It's getting more like that all the time. There's just some things you just leave alone, right? Jim Croce, way back in the 70s, sang a song. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off of no Lone Ranger. And you don't mess around with Jim. Great song. There's some things you just leave alone, right? You just don't mess with. You don't mess with a rattlesnake, for instance. There's some things you don't do. You don't rearrange your mom's precious moments collection. No. 
stay away. You're just asking for it. You don't go downstairs and rearrange your dad's workshop. You're just asking for trouble. You know that Bible verse, on the day you touch it, you will surely die? That is the idea behind it. Just let it alone. Now, let's go to the way, way back machine. Alright? Back in the days of Moses, the Lord was very unhappy with His stubborn and ungrateful nation of Israel. They complained about everything. At one point they said, we have no bread, no water, and we're sick of this miserable food. And in response, God sent poisonous snakes among them, and those snakes bit people, and they died. Not making it up. You can read it yourself. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 through verse 9. Okay, Moses said, we got to stop this. And so to stop the slaughter... He asked God what to do, and these are the instructions. God said, make a snake, hold it up on a pole, and the people who look to that will be healed. You can read it yourself, okay? I'm not making it up. Numbers 21. It's a very strange story. I don't begin to understand all the meaning of it, but I believe it happened... I believe it happened because Jesus quoted the same story in John chapter 3. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. But you know how people are with religious things? Uh, they hold on to them. Like you, you go someplace and you pick up a rock and you bring it home and you remember. It's a rock, but you pick the rock up someplace and it's important to you. That's what people do with religious symbols all the time. My grandmother gave me this cross. It's, you know, it's important. It's a cross, but it's a piece of metal. But sometimes it has a lot more significance than that. And especially in a pagan way, the people of Israel grabbed on to this bronze snake. They considered it good luck. And as time went by, people took that snake and used it as a superstitious form of worship. And they actually burned incense to it as part of their routine. This became a traditional part of their worship routine. They ignored Almighty God and gave honor to this ancient piece of metal that had historic significance, but they turned it into something different. went on for centuries like that. Should we leave that alone? Is that an untouchable? Don't mess with it? Not for Hezekiah. Hezekiah went there. <laughs> He tugged on Superman's cape. He spit into the wind. He pulled the mask off of the Lone Ranger and he messed around with Jim. He, the Bible says, 2 Kings 18, verse 4, He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made because up to that time they had been burning incense to it. Get rid of it. How far will you go to get the garbage out of your life? How far will you go to make things right with God? Ah, we've always done it that way. This is who I am. You don't understand. This is my personality. I was taught this by my parents and my grandparents. But if it's not honoring to the Lord, draw a hard line and say, it needs to go. 
That's stomping on some toes, I know, but that's true, and that's what Hezekiah did. And he did one more thing before we close. He reestablished the tithe for the operation of the temple and the upkeep and for the workers. He asked people to honor the Lord with the first part of their income. Tithing, it's called in the Old Testament. And by those people honoring the Lord with the first part of their wealth, it made it possible for the Levites and the priests to begin repairs on the temple. They had money for materials. And they had money for their own food so that they could work full time at the service of the Lord. And so the people gave generously from their grain and their new wine and their oil and their honey and their fields. Everything that they that was produced on their little farms, they brought the first part to the Lord. And when all the people did that together, there was more than enough for everybody. They brought such a great amount, a tithe of everything. The Bible says they, they were so generous that they had leftovers. And so they had to store some of the stuff aside and use later. Everyone was taken care of. Everyone's needs were met. But just everyone given the first part of their income. There's a lesson there. All of these reforms were due to the mentoring of a prophet named Micah and a prophet named Isaiah. The Spirit of God was partnering with them and with Hezekiah and they just tore into it and they turned their nation back to the Lord. I want to encourage you to think about these things as we close today. The Holy Spirit will guide you If you're willing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. If you're willing to say that, the Holy Spirit will partner with you. And John 16, 13 says the Holy Spirit will guide you to do these things. When you decide to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord, you get help. Doors open. Things happen. Roads get made into mountainous regions where there's never been a road since creation. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 57 times in the book of Acts. But it isn't mentioned very much in the book of Kings and Chronicles. But you can still see Him at work through the encouragement and support of the prophets who mentored Hezekiah. An entire generation had spent their lives under the godless culture of Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz. But when it was his turn, the Word of God stirred in his heart. It's like when you have a little Vitacea pill and you drop it in water and it drops to the bottom of the glass and it starts bubbling like Alka-Seltzer. It starts bubbling. Some action is taking place. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets in your life. It stirs you to action. And Hezekiah was convicted by the sin of his nation and by the rejection of God. It was stirring to him. He had to do something about it. Can that happen to you? Yeah. You get the Holy Spirit in your life when you're baptized. It convicts you. It teaches you. It sends people into your life to help mentor you. He makes you more than you ever thought you could be. He makes you bold and decisive. He lays something on your heart and it doesn't go away. Probably today, some of you in this room have had something 
on your mind that you know you should do. Maybe it's been years. You know you should do something. You've been thinking about it. You've been procrastinating about it. But you, it's not gone away. I should do something about that. I can't guarantee 100% for sure that that's God's Spirit working in you. But I would strongly consider it. If you follow His lead, you'll do things you never thought possible. A 25-year-old king in the first month of his reign begins these reformations that turn his nation back to God. 25 years old. What can he do with you? You'll never know. If you don't go for it, if you don't set your heart on doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. I need to, I just have a couple little take homes as we close here. But Tara, I can invite you and the girls to come back up. So we study this life of Hezekiah. You know a little bit more of the history, maybe you're better informed perhaps. So what? As a long time ago, it doesn't mean anything to me. I'm praying the Spirit of God will convict your heart. I, I would guess that God is stirring somebody's heart to action. If there's something on your mind that won't go away, and it causes you to pound your fist at injustice, or cry tears over trouble, or shake your head, is probably an indication that God is stirring your heart, convicting you to take action. AIDS doesn't matter. This guy was 25 years old. It doesn't matter. With the Holy Spirit, you're far more than you think you are. Just go. Take the next step. On the first day of the first month of his reign, he went to work. I pray you will too. And then, here's the second thing. Just examine your house. Examine your life. It might be, it might be time to clean house. Some of the stuff in your life needs to go. Hezekiah got rid of this heirloom that's been hanging around for centuries. Maybe you should do that too. And then the third idea is this. Who are you listening to? Um, Hezekiah had people in his life that spoke truth to him. They inspired him. They gave him direction. They pointed him towards God. Examine your friendships. Hang around people that are godly and will point you towards doing God's work. And then this last idea is just the whole idea of calling the nation back to God. I, I struggle with this, you guys. I, I know that we're, every church is still struggling because COVID and the practices around COVID have closed the doors uh, to many people coming back to public worship. That's a fact. Uh, it doesn't stop people from going anywhere else and doing anything else, but for some reason worship is off limits. And uh, there's a danger in that because uh, you can lose your connection with the body of Christ and you can lose your passion. And I would, whoever's listening online, whoever's in this room, I would, I'm glad you're here today. I just encourage you to humble yourself, take a look at what's going on in your life and come back because the church needs you and you need the church. Come back to regular consistent worship and regular consistent giving. Um, there's a lot to be said from the life of Hezekiah, isn't there? It's just jammed 
packed with goodness. I'm praying God will stir your heart to action. Um, The Holy Spirit wants to partner with you to do great things for God. And if you'd like to hear more about that or talk about that, a bunch of us would be thrilled to have a discussion.